Okay. <clears throat> you know what I like? One of the things I like about Riverside Baptist Church, I'll tell you what it is. It is so out of step with what's hot in church life. So out of step. Number one, you're having a Sunday night service. Do you realize how many Baptist churches are closed tonight across the land that year, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, wouldn't have even thought of not having Sunday night services? And now they're shut down every Sunday night. And you realize where many people do meet, it's like, okay, let's get on with this so we can get out of here. We've got to get going and see how short it can be. And I get those places once in a while, and every time I feel like I'm pressed, come on, we're, we meet so we can get out, let's, let's get to moving. I add 15 minutes onto the sermon. <laughs> can you imagine that? I mean, that's something. But anyway, I don't do that on purpose. I'm kidding. But it's just, it's really something. And the music, and I know the choir practice uh, was at 4 o'clock, but they didn't practice all of that, I don't think. But just be ready to sing. And were, were our hearts ministered to tonight by that? Mine was. Mine was, I don't want anybody getting excited standing on your chair and shouting or anything, but I'm just saying, that's, that's good stuff. That is good stuff. Miss Pam reminded me, I didn't need reminded because I was thinking about it too, that uh, years ago, the first time that To Rescue a Sinner Like Me was sung at Southwest Baptist Church. Um, I, I remember that morning, you could tell already that the Lord is here. You know, it was just one of those times you just knew. And the choir sang, and while the choir was singing, some of the choir members were coming out of the choir in tears to come to the altar. And then I had them sing it again, and people started coming from out in the pews to come and humble themselves before the Lord and thank God that he would rescue a sinner like me. And then I preached that morning, and we had people saved, and I had the choir sing the invitation to rescue a sinner like me. We sang it three times that morning. And just the way that God worked and God moved, I'll, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that morning. We have students that graduated way back there. That would have been, oh, I don't know, before 2005, I suppose, somewhere right in there. And uh, so I still meet students. Uh, Brother Sam, I was there when we sang, or when the choir sang, to rescue a sinner like me. It was just one of those special times. And I still can't listen to it without some emotion, because uh, it's an amazing thing. That gospel story is an amazing, amazing and wonderful thing. I'm so thankful to God for it. So thank you, choir, for singing. And uh, I was listening to the song and the accompaniment, and I thought, I hope that lady at the pen is in good shape because she's sure getting a workout tonight. And everybody did, so it was wonderful. Thank you for that. And thank you, Brother Bill. I think I heard you over here mumbling around. Was that you asking for more songs? That's good. I like it. I like it. There are some places where the Lord would move in and do things if he had a chance. But we've got to watch the clock. So anyway, let's go back to the book of Judges and chapter number 6. The book of Judges, chapter 6. And we're going to be in chapter 6 and 7 and even some into chapter 8 on Wednesday night. But I'm going to tell you right now, I, I hope that, yeah, we're going to stand and read. I hope that, uh, you know, from this morning and tonight, our appetite is wet because most people know the story of Gideon, but there's some details in here that can easily be overlooked that are very meaningful that I'm sure are placed there by God for our benefit, our learning, our admonition, and such as that. 
And there are many ways that we can identify with Gideon. I'll try to show some of that uh, tonight. So in verse number one, it said, The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of of Midian seven years. So we talked about that this morning and how that they had to be confronted with their condition. They were impoverished. They were languishing in poverty and fear. Uh, Life was miserable for seven years under the oppression of the Midianites and their friends, the Amalekites, and some of the people groups of the East. And so uh, then the prophet comes on the scene. And the prophet comes on the scene, and he says to them in verse number 10, Uh, uh, And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. He is speaking for God. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. So the prophet came to confront them with the reality or with the fact that they are in this position they should have never been in for this reason. They neglected God, ignored God, thumbed the nose to God, refused to obey God. And that's why they got in that condition and in that shape. But they cried to the Lord. Did you ever hear anybody say something like this? I hope maybe you haven't, but I have. Uh, Say something like this along this line. You know, I mean, I don't don't read the Old Testament much. I don't much like the Old Testament. I even have heard some say, and I heard a preacher on television say it one time, that the God of the Old Testament is a vindictive God. The God of the New Testament is a God of grace. And I think that's about as low a view of God as an individual could possibly have. He is the immutable one. Jehovah is his name. The self-sufficient, self-existent one. One of his major attributes is his immutability. He cannot be other than what he is. You and I can change. We have our ups and downs and ups and downs and ups and downs. We do. We change. We might be in a great mood today and next Sunday don't even speak to me, you know. And, and we can be up and down like that. God never. I said God never. Amen. And no, he didn't become a good God in the New Testament. You can find his grace all through the Old Testament. A preacher came on TV, grinning from ear to ear, and all of his teeth, he had more teeth than Jimmy Carter. I'm telling you, it was amazing. And he was smiling, and he said, uh, I just preach out of the New Testament, because the God of the Old Testament is an angry God. The God of the New Testament is a God of grace. And I thought, why don't you hang a sign around your neck that says, stay clear, I am one ignorant soul. Amen? I just now thought of that. I mean, that's, that's, but anyway, that's what he should do. Because you can find the grace, Noah found what in the eyes of the Lord? And the grace of God is found everywhere, everywhere, including our account. All right, so let's see, where am I supposed to start reading? Verse 11, and there came an angel, we read this this morning, but we'll start there and we're just going to read down to verse 24. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was an Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abiezrite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat there by the winepress to hide from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all these miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out uh, up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him 
and said, Go in this thy might, not Gideon's might. He was hiding in a vineyard threshing wheat. It didn't go together. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, the Lord's might, not his own. Thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O oh, oh, oh my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And he said unto him, If now, here's Gideon, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee and bring forth my present and set it before thee. And he said, I don't play this game. That's all that he said. He said, I will tarry until thou come again. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid, a young male goat, unleavened cakes of ephah, and ephah of flour, the flesh he put in a basket, and he brought the broth in a pot, and, and brought it out unto him under the oak, and presented it, roast lamb, biscuits, unleavened biscuits, but still biscuits, and gravy, that's what they were having. The angel of God said unto him, aren't you glad you came to church? You didn't know that was all in there, did you? But the angel of the Lord said unto him, take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes and there rose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, now he'd already disappeared out of his sight, but he's still crying out to God, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face, he wondered, would I be able to live after this? And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee. Fear not, thou shalt not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom, the Lord of peace, Jehovah God of peace. Unto this day, it is yet in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. Father, we are grateful tonight, truly, truly grateful for the privilege to be assembled together in this place. Make this uh, portion of the meeting Make it a prophet, make it helpful, that can only come about by the working of your Holy Spirit. So I come and acknowledge our dependence upon thee, and just reading this account, and Gideon recognizing his own helplessness, O oh God, we in this assembly tonight are no less or no more helpless than Gideon. We need you. We need the help and the unction of the Holy Spirit. We need you, God, to make your presence known. We need you to give us understanding. We, we need you in every way. So I pray now that this might be a profitable, meaningful, beneficial time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated.
Don't forget, the condition that they are in has been coming uh, to this head for the past seven years. God is a patient God and a gracious God. For seven years, they've disobeyed God and ignored (coughs) the voice of God. And so God is dealing with them and allows the Midianites to come with the Amalekites and some others, and they come and heavily oppress them. I made mention a moment ago, they were languishing in fear and in famine. They were in utter and absolute misery. And after seven years, they cried to the Lord. And so we read tonight a part of it and considered this morning that God heard their cry And as God is prone to do, even to the most, uh, even to the most defiant, even to the most uh, uh, people that have neglected him, uh, God is prone to when he hears the cries of his people, when he knows the humbleness of heart that is coming about as a result of their condition, then God is gracious and God is patient. He delights in mercy, not in judgment. And God responds And he calls this man Gideon. God uses men. One of the most unlikely characters of his day would have been Gideon. And God comes and gives him the instruction that we read about and has this encounter with him and tells him that I want you to go in your might and Gideon, this is not up to you. It's up to me in you. Go in this thy might and the success of this endeavor is going to be uh, dependent upon my power and my ability, God says, but I'm going to use you in the process. Now let's try to be fair to Gideon here for just a moment because I've heard Gideon ragged on some because he asked for signs. And uh, the scripture says that the Jews require a sign and the Greeks, they're more into the intellect and such as that. And so I, I know that God gave all kinds of signs, but I've actually heard some people say that if Gideon was the man of faith he was supposed to be, then he wouldn't have been asking God for a sign. He just wouldn't have acted upon what he said. But I want to remind you of something. Have you read anything anywhere that would tell you that Gideon was already on his way in a walk with God? Or don't we kind of get the impression that this is just now beginning? Oh, yes, it is. It's just now beginning. There's no indication. I might remind you this about uh, Gideon. He was raised in the house of Joash. We're going to learn in the service tomorrow night that this Joash, Gideon's father, had an altar to Baal and a grove unto Baal on his property. And Gideon was raised by Joash. So when we see this sudden turn of events in Gideon's life where God is speaking him uh, to him and making him known to him that he is going to be used in this way, this is all a brand new thing with Gideon. And so I, for myself, I look at how slow growth can be in our life. I look at my own life and realize I've been saved since I was seven years old, friends and neighbors. That was 70 years ago. And I'm disappointed in myself of some of the lessons that I'm still having to learn. Many of them again. Is everybody with me here? 
or are you living at a different level than I have ever experienced in my life? I'm just saying, we understand that, don't we? And we understand that our progress... Now, let's go back to Gideon, and what had he mostly known? Apparently, Baal worship. I mean, the altar to Baal was on his dad's land, and for the last seven years, they haven't been paying any attention to God, and they've been worshiping Baal, and they've been worshiping the God of the Amorites, and they've been worshiping Ashtoreth, the God of the Ammonites. I'm just saying, if you look and study the book of, uh, of Judges, you'll see there's a whole plethora of gods that they've been chasing after, none of them which truly existed except in their own imagination. And the God who is, they have completely ignored. And now God singles Gideon out, and Gideon, well, he is taken aback by this, and he knows that he has experienced the presence of God, but like he should already know how to respond to all of this? Come on, he's a beginner. He is what we would call a babe in Christ. He is, a, he is new in this spiritual journey that he is on. <laughs> and so God singles him out. And so Gideon knows that he's met with God, and he knows he's never had any circumstances like this. He also knows that God has called him to this task to be used to liberate the people or to free them from the oppression of the Midianites and the Amalekites and the others. And he knows that God is doing this, but now that this event has happened and God has spoken to him, Gideon says, can you stay a while? I just need a little more assurance. This is so overwhelming. This is so new to me. I, I, I need you to stay here. Can you stay here a while? The Lord said, I'll stay. And Gideon says, I want to bring you a present. I want to present you with a gift. I want to offer something to you. So he goes and gets the kid. He gets the broth. He gets the, the uh, bread. He does everything that he's supposed to get. And he brings it and he offers it before the Lord. And the Bible says that he put it in a pot and brought it under an oak and presented it. And verse number 20, the angel of God said unto him, take the flesh and, and, and pour it out. Uh, pour it out on this rock. And the end of verse 20 says, he did so and the angel of the Lord, watch this, the angel of the Lord takes the staff that is in his hand. Now again, uh, this is a theophanies. This is the pre-incarnate Christ making manifestation. This is deity here. Uh, this is the angel of the Lord. And he takes this staff, he didn't really need a staff, but he took the staff and he touched the rock and fire comes down and consumes it. Uh, son, you wanted a sign? You got it. And there it is. I'm just saying, fire came out of that rock and consumed it all. Consumed the bread, consumed the baby goat, consumed the broth, it consumed everything. The fire of God showed up. It's interesting that when you read the Word of God, that when the fire of God comes down, it means one of two things. It either means God is here in judgment, or it means that God is here to manifest His presence. And it is a sign of His approval. And so we know that when the fire came down upon Sodom and Gomorrah, or when the fire of God appeared in cases when He was dealing with rebellion and sin against Him, then we know that God reminded them, I am a consuming fire. Boy, you don't hear much preaching on that in the 21st century. But the Lord said, 
I am a consuming fire. And all you can hear nowadays in churches is love and good and wants you to succeed and all of this kind of sissified stuff. And hardly anybody's saying anything about the fact that God is a consuming fire. But God is who he is. And he's no different now than he was then. God is still a consuming fire. But in this particular case, hallelujah, God is showing his approval and his manifestation of himself. And the fire comes right down in front of Gideon and consumes what's on the rock. Gideon sees it. Again, you ask for a sign? He gave him a sign. And it had effect on him. Look down in verse number 21 at the end. The angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. But Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord. See the Lord Jehovah, all capital letters, that this is the angel of the Lord. Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, alas, he knows that God may not be there in visible sight, but he knows God can hear him. Is everybody listening to this? He knows he's not there in visible form like he was before, but he knows God is there and he can hear him and he cries out. He said, alas, O Lord God, I've seen an angel of the Lord and I'm afraid I'm going to die. God said, you wanted a sign? Uh, this You're not going to die. I have done this to give you the assurance that you need. And the Lord said unto him in verse 23, look at the patience, the kindness, the long suffering of God. Watch this. Peace be unto thee. Fear not. He knew the fears that Gideon had. He knew his hesitation. He knew his reluctance. Come on. He knew this is on a brand new path for Gideon. This isn't something that he should have picked up a long time ago. He should have been if he'd had some godly influence about him. He should have been if there'd been any preaching going on around, but you're not going to hear it at the altar of Baal, that's for sure. And that's where his father was and where most of the people were of the land. And so Gideon is all new here and the God speaks to him and he says, fear not, thou shalt die. And Gideon built an altar and he, out of just sheer gratitude, he says, this is Jehovah Shalom. He is the God of peace. This is one relieved and now assured man, this Gideon, for the most part. Now, we're going to break from the chronology here. Because right after this, God deals with uh, Gideon's house, his father's house. That's tomorrow night. Oh, mercy, don't miss that one. But that's tomorrow night. And after uh, God deals with Gideon's father and the men of Manasseh and the men that would be around there, the men of Israel, after God does that, God has Gideon blow a trumpet and has him call men together. Okay, so he's been assured by what happened there at the rock when the fire of God came down. All right, now being assured of that, He's ready to move on and take the next steps. And so as you read on, there's a big step he's going to take tomorrow night. But i got to wait till tomorrow night. Tonight we're dealing with the signs. So we're breaking from the chronology. But after the events of verse number 25, uh, down through about verse number 35, excuse me, after those events, Gideon blows a trumpet. 
And now, now, why would they blow a trumpet? Go read Numbers chapter 10. It tells what the trumpet is supposed to do. It's to do various things. And one thing they would use the trumpet for as they would blast it throughout the land is to call people to come for war, to come and prepare themselves. So here is Gideon from the tribe of Manasseh, not a, not a, uh, uh, not a high-class tribe. Here he is, the youngest of his poor father's household. Uh, beginning on a brand new journey of living his life unto God. Here he is. And this nobody blows a trumpet, and guess what happened? 32,000 men of Israel assembled to where he was. <laughs> now I can tell you, you're not very impressed with that. I am. You blow a trumpet, that's quite a crowd. I mean, that's quite a crowd. I'm talking about 32,000 men assemble there. And somebody said, well, that's a great army in itself. Yeah, well, the only problem is they're going to go up against 135,000 Midianites. So they're outnumbered here 4.2 to 1. But that being said, it's still a pretty good turnout here. <laughs> 32,000 men have showed up. And instead of Gideon saying, this ought to get it done. Come on, boys, let's go. Gideon stopped and he thought, oh, my. He may not have known how, known how many were in the Midianite army. He may or may not have. I would say he probably did not. But he knew he had 32,000. And Gideon said, I'm not ready to go yet. And if you look down in chapter number 6 and verse 36, Gideon said unto God, now 32,000 men have come to him. And Gideon said to God, if thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, is everybody with me here? As thou hast said. So Gideon already knows what God said. What God said. I'm going to use you to deliver Midian uh, uh, to deliver the people out of the hands of the Midianites. So God has already said that. And Gideon knows it. So what's he doing now? Asking for another sign. Gideon said, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, uh, God, I need you to bear with me here. I'm going to put out a fleece. Now, I've really heard, maybe you have too, Brother Bill, you, uh, I've heard Gideon really bash for putting out the police, uh, fleece, uh, not the police, but fleece. And so putting out the fleece, and I've actually, I've actually heard people get up, I remember hearing a sermon like this at Chapel at Heartland, and you follow God and don't you be putting out a fleece and da-da-da-da-da. And I'm not advocating everything that comes along to put out a fleece, but I don't think we can use Gideon for this and hammer him over the head unless God did which he manifestly did not. And so Gideon saw 32,000 men. Excuse me just a second. This isn't Hollywood. These are 32,000 men of Israel. They are husbands of wives, fathers of children, sons of parents. These are real people, and Gideon realized that. And when he looked at the 32,000 men, no doubt a sense of responsibility weighed heavy upon his shoulder. My soul, what I do and what I lead these men to do is going to affect a whole lot of people besides me because there are families involved here and there are children involved here and there are spouses involved here. Come on, this is a very serious matter. So Gideon didn't look at the 32,000 men and say, what do you think of that? Here, I came out of nowhere. I blow the trumpet and 32,000 men came. What do you think of that? And flex his muscles. He didn't feel that way at all. Uh -uh. No pride involved here. Still had some fear going on in his soul. 
And, he, and so he came and he said, God, he approaches the Lord. I'm going to put this fleece on the floor. And in verse 37, if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon all the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by mine hand as thou hast said. Hold on just a second. So he puts the fleece out. What's the fleece? Well, the fleece, I, I, if you don't agree with this, we can still be friends. But I think that's what it means. The fleece has to do with Israel, the people of Israel. So he put the fleece out. They are God's sheep. They are God's people. This is his flock. And there they are. And so he puts the fleece out and says, Lord, if the dew is on the fleece, but it's dry all around, I'll know you're sending me. So sure enough, the next morning he gets up and he can wring water out of the fleece. And all around it, it's dry. So he knew, didn't he? He knew. God did that for him. He said, whenever you ask for a sign, put up the fleece. And people go stomping mad and tell us how bad Gideon is, even though he made it in the Hebrews chapter 11 and the people that are ridiculing him didn't. <laughs> and, so, and so Gideon put up, and God answered him. God Okay, so what do you expect? Gideon would say, all right, we're ready to move now. Gideon said, Lord, look in verse number 39. Gideon said unto, unto God, uh, Lord, let, let not thine anger. Uh, I, I have one more thing I would sure like to see for sure. <laughs> I, I can't afford to make any mistakes here. And he said, I will speak but this once, Lord. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with, a, with the fleece. Could we do this? Let me put it out there. And if it's dry only upon the fleece and upon all the ground, then I'll know it's you. God did so that night. If it was dry upon, uh, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on the ground. The dew must have to do with the blessings of God. And that first time, no, the blessings of God are on the fleece. You're going to be fine. But then he added to it and just said, I, I, I've got to know for sure. And so he found out for sure. Now, hold on just a minute. Two nights from now, we're going to get into what develops after this, after the fleece, and he's getting people together. But we've got a little more work to do here on this part, too, because after he gets the 32,000 men, we'll go into it more detail later, but God reduces that number to how many? 300. So he's going to have 32,000 men to go against 134,000, 135,000 men, men, not Mennonites, what is it? Midianites. <laughs> so it's, a, it's 135 Midianites, 135,000 of them. And so Gideon is going to go against them. And God brings it down to the number of 300. Now it's 140 to 1. 141. Now he's got the 300 with him. And if you go over to chapter 7, I want you to look down with me. And uh, let me see. Let me, let me look at it here. Chapter 7 and verse number uh, 9. Yeah, verse number 9. Came to pass the same night. Now they're getting very close to you because the Midianites are all assembled, prepared for war. They're already assembled. We'll talk more about that scenery later on uh, this week. But they're all together. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. 
But if thou fear to go, this is God. Gideon did not ask for a sign. God says, but if thou fear to go down. Can I have your attention here? Do you think God maybe knew that in Gideon there's still fear? God said, I'm not for sure, but you might be afraid. Come on, God knows whether the man's afraid. And he said, now since or if you're afraid, it's, a high, it's, a, uh, it, it's not a necessary word to say. If you're afraid, God knowing that he was, God said, let me reassure you again. So far from God being against all of this, God answers the sign when he talks about the uh, offering upon the rock and answers with uh, the presence, his presence with fire. He answers with the dew on the fleece and not on the ground, then on the ground, but not on the fleece. He answers that. And now it's wartime. He's got the 300 men. He's getting ready to tell them what to do. What a tremendous story this is. But before he goes, God says, Gideon, let me assure you in one more way. If you're still afraid, I'll help you. Now hold on. So look at verse 9. It came to pass same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down to the host. For I have delivered it into thine hand. The host of the Midianites. Come, can I have your attention? That host is 135,000 people. God says, go down there. Verse 10. But if you're afraid to go down there, go with fear of thy servant down to the host. If you're afraid to go. Take Fura. I'm sure if we'd have talked to Gideon, he'd have been like any other man. I'm not afraid, but I'm just going to take him anyway. (laughs) He might learn something here that he needs to know. All I know is Fura winds up going, so that ought to tell us how it was. But if thou fear to go down, uh, go thou with Fura, thy servant, down to the host, and thou shalt hear what they say. And afterward shall thine hands be strengthened, to go down under the host. There, excuse me. There is a mammoth task that lies ahead of him. He is going to be outnumbered 450 to 1. God knows the man that he's dealing with. He knows that his hands need strengthened. He knows that he's feeling incapable. He knows that he's feeling unable. And so God knowing this says, here's what I want you to do. You go down I have a word out of their camp that will strengthen your hands. Oh, this is amazing. Look down. And so, verse 13, uh, verse 12, verse 11. Then went he down with Fura, his servant, under the outside of the armed men that were in the host. So he's at the outside of the camp. They're in camp. They're 135,000 strong. And Gideon goes down to the edge of the camp of the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of, uh, of, of Israel uh, lay e, e, of the east lay along uh, in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude and their camels were without number as the sand by the seaside for multitude. When Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, you know, I had the weirdest dream. What was that dream? I dreamed that a cake of barley bread came tumbling down into the host of Midian and came into a tent and smote it that it fell. I'm talking about a cake or a loaf of barley bread came down, hit a tent, and it 
tore the tent down that the tent lay long. What would that be about? I've dreamed that a barley cake would roll into our camp and knock a tent down. I wonder what that means. The guy said, I know. You do? How do you know? I don't know how I know. I just know. <laughs> it's there. Come on. Look at verse 14. The fellow answered and said, uh, this is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. For unto his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. How did you know that? I don't know how I know that. I just know that. Do you think God can do that? I said, do you think God can do that? Yeah, he's God, you know. And I don't know that it happened exactly like that. I don't know, but this guy may have had some connection or some way of knowing. But excuse me, until all of this took place, this Gideon was hardly known among his people. Maybe he was on the intelligence side of the Midianite army, and he'd done some intelligent work on this guy that's supposed to be the leader. I don't know, but he said, I know what your dream is about, because this is really uh, nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of, a man of Israel, for his hand hath God delivered. Midian, our host is in trouble. Our Midianite land, we've had our free run for the past seven years, and it's just about over. That's what the man is prophesying. And he said, it's just about done, and all of this host is in deep trouble. Verse 15, and it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, that he worshiped and returned unto the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. See, and so the victory begins right there. All right, now, here's what I'm going to do. That's, those are the three signs that Gideon asked for. Now, and I know this is going to seem a little strange. You've got to follow along. But I'm going to put the brakes on right here. I'm going to stop here. And I'm going to give you a verse that I think most of you would remember. Now, would you listen to me carefully? Uh, Wherefore, having a great high priest, which is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, there's got to be a reason that we put the story on hold and jump all the way from Judges to the book of Hebrews. Why would a preacher do that? What are you trying to do? Get everybody confused? No, I'm trying my best to get you to stay with me. But while many people look at Gideon and say, this Gideon had a lot of fear still, and this Gideon is asking for a sign and another sign, and then God, knowing his fear, gave him a sign he didn't even ask for, they will look at Gideon as though he's got some kind of an issue or some kind of a problem. But you don't find it with God that God rebukes him or that God says, I'm very displeased with you because you shouldn't need a sign. I've shown you something already. I, you shouldn't need a sign. I've already talked to you face to face. You shouldn't need a sign. I've already assured you once and now twice. And now I'm assuring you again because there's still some fear here. Uh, God is never rebuking the man. As a matter of fact, 
I believe that God is honoring his word and what you really find in Gideon instead of weakness is boldness. Now let me talk to you about boldness just a minute. Um, Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may, God's sufficiency, grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Now what does it mean to come boldly before the throne? What does that mean? I know what I thought bold was. I grew up going to church, and uh, but you know, when I was a kid, I'd be like some of the children that are here. My parents never said, Sammy, would you like to go to church? <laughs> or to any of my brothers and sisters. If church was on, we're there. That's just the way it was. A revival meeting? I mean, I've seen my dad actually in the summer shut things down when we were in the hay or when we were working the ground or even plowing. And if there's a revival, then we're going to go to the revival. I saw my dad do that. You'd hope in a farming area back there where it's mostly wheat and summer crops, you'd hope that a preacher might would pick another time, but some of them didn't. And so we'd go. And I'd hear preachers preach. I heard all kinds of preachers preach. If I could, if I was permitted, I would sit right up front. And I love preachers. I love preaching, and I love preachers, even as a kid. Even at the times that I wasn't necessarily seeking to do right by God, still when I went to church, I respected preachers and preaching. I liked to hear preaching. These guys were, uh, most of them from Texas. They were big. They wore boots. They were loud. And they were long. And so I'd sit there and listen to them. And some of those preachers were, they thought, the more obnoxious you are, I thought, the more bold you are. And so some of these preachers would say something like this. They would say something, I see you give me that look, I'm going to tell you right now, you old hen, I'm going to pluck all your tail feathers and you need to get right with God. I actually heard that said. (laughs) How would that go in 21st century church life? And I'm sitting there thinking, oh yeah, this is a man preaching here. This is a man. And so they would get tough and they would get obnoxious and they'd get in your face. And I used to think the more obnoxious they were, Brother Bill, then I thought the more boldness they have. These guys ain't afraid of nothing. You know, that's bad grammar, but you get it, don't you? They, these guys, they have no fear. They're going to say whatever comes to their mind. Then I read a proverb that said, a fool speaks all his mind. A wise man saves it till later. And I thought, oh. Well, that sheds a little bit different light on the subject. But I thought the, the more outgoing, the more confrontational they were, the bolder they are. And come to find out, that's not what it meant at all. You know what it means? This, the word bold, it, it has to do with some confidence. It does. But it, if you reduced it down, you know what it means? To speak all. To speak all. Now here's what I found. Jesus was bold. He spake all the words his father gave him to speak. That's the only words he had. Does everybody listen to this? He only spoke the words his father gave him to say. And he didn't look around and see the crowd and the multitude or the Pharisees and the opposition or the threat that was upon his life. He said everything his father had for him to say. Everything. You know what Samuel did when he went into Eli? 
And was, I mentioned Samuel this morning in the Sunday school hour. For those of you that are here and you're kind of familiar with the story, you know what Samuel did? He told Eli everything that God said. So boldness has less to do with an attitude of confrontation and I'm not afraid of you. It doesn't really have anything to do with that. It has to do with the willingness to speak all. Now I have a question. What does it mean for us to come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need? Why does it say to come boldly before the throne of grace? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because when we come before God, we need to pull a Gideon and not pretend we are what we are not. And when we come before God, allowing that he pretty much knows us, our thoughts afar off, our words before they ever leave our tongue, knowing that he knows our uprising and our downsitting, knowing that he knows every thought that crosses our mind, you know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to be like Gideon. In the sense that we come before God, and if, excuse me, if we're weak when we should be strong, then we need to deal with it. But if we know that we are in weakness before God, then what should we do? Confess our weakness before God. See, and not act like that, God, I'm praying to you. I mean, I've already got my mind made up what I'm going to do, but now I want you to bless it. No, that's not the, that's not the proper order. It's to come before God and seek His mind and His will because it's Christ in us that's going to get the victory and that's going to get done. It's not our own savvy, and we're going to ask the blessings of God to come along beside. Does everybody listen to this? And so when we, come to, uh, 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 when we come before the throne of God, then we know that we have limitations. Likewise, the Spirit helpeth our infirmity, our limitations, we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the heart knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You know what God's waiting for his people to do? To come before him and say, God, I'm a barley cake. I see some of you are looking at me like, I'm not telling him I'm a barley cake. I don't even know what that means. Okay, thank you for sharing that with me. We can take care of it. Barley is different than wheat. Barley bread is different than wheat bread. Everything barley is different than wheat. Barley is not the same quality or level of usefulness as wheat. We raised wheat, my dad being a farmer. Did you raise any barley? Yeah. The only reason we raised barley is the government... Oh, what would we do without government intervention? But the government said you could only sow so much wheat. So we sowed barley. Used it for feed. Might sell it to some neighbors and stuff like that. But my dad would grow some barley. But barley bread, the idea we're supposed to get here, barley bread, the constitution of it is weak. It's weak. And so the thing about this story is that a barley cake rose down and should, when it hits any object, just come apart because the constitution of it is weak. But this barley bread knocks over a tent. So this isn't done by some mighty individual. You know who the barley cake is? Gideon. 
Gideon was not a well-trained soldier. Come on, somebody help me. He was not a well-trained general. He did not go to West Point. He didn't have all of that background. He was the youngest of his father's house, and his father was a poor man, and he was a poor boy that's called by God, and to the rest of the world, he would be nothing but a barley cake. But here's what Gideon did. He acknowledged to God his need of him. He acknowledged his fear. He didn't hide from it. He confessed it. He didn't say to God, I believe I can handle this. I've always thought you had something big for me. What'd you expect him to say? I'm ready for this task. I knew it was coming. He didn't know it was coming. He had no reason in the world to believe that God who is God would choose him for such a task. And he's nothing but a barley cake, but a barley cake in the hands of God becomes something different than a barley cake apart from the hands of God. So everybody listen to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as far as about knowing God's will and him seeking to make sure this is God's will, maybe some of us should do better to really slow down, to put the brakes on some of our ambitions and desires that we're praying for and make sure that we have the mind of God. Make sure that this is the leading of God making sure that this is born, this thing we want to do, this vision that we say we have, that it's born out of our walk with God in His Word and not just some fleshly ambition and feel like we're justified in it because we prayed about it. And now God's obligated to come along and bring down the fire of blessing upon it. No, He's not. No, He's not. I'm just simply saying, all of us are weak. All of us are frail. I look at the disciples, Pastor, as they followed Jesus, as they followed him along. I look at those 12 disciples, they followed Jesus along. He told them in no uncertain terms, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, and I'll raise again the third day. He told them in no uncertain terms. So guess what happened? Just that. So here are the disciples. What are they doing? Hiding. They're hiding in this room with the door shut. It means it's barred shut. And they're doing this for fear of the Jews. And Jesus comes and stands in their midst. He didn't come in the door. He just appeared, the resurrected Christ. The tomb couldn't keep him in. A door can't keep him out. (laughs) And he stood there before the disciples. Who? Who? had agreed with Peter, oh, no, we'll never deny you. We're with you all the way. Now, come on. Somebody said, no, Peter said that. And my Bible says in the Gospel of Luke, so said they all. So I'm just allowing, as hard as the King James is, it means they all said it. Thank you for getting that, Brother Andrew. Yep, they all said it. So here they are, doors shut, they're barred. Jesus comes in and appears to them. And what does he say? Well, well, never forsake me, huh? Hmm, never deny me. Look at Peter. You're Peter tonight. Look at Peter. You're not quite the man you thought you was, are you? (laughs) Never deny me. Three times you said that. See what happened? Yep, Jesus didn't do that. You know what he said to the disciples when he went into that room? Peace be unto you. Shalom. May the greatest blessings of the Father be bestowed upon you. To whom? Weak, frail, fearful, doubting, 
barley cakes. Are we not getting this? Or is it quiet because we are getting this? I can't read you. That's what they were. That's what every one of them were. That's how I feel. It's something getting old. And I'm thankful for, I'm 77 years old. I'm thankful we still get to go and uh, still preach. I, I, I've been asked, how long are you going to do this? I, I have no idea. I didn't know I'd still be doing it now. I have no idea. I just want to do what the Lord says. And, and so sometimes I get introduced with well-meaning, you know, and this and this and this. But I know who I am before God. I know what it is to come before God and say, I'm frail. I'm weak. Without your strength, I'm nothing. I, I crumble like a barley cake without the grace of God, without the sufficiency of God, without the working of His Holy Spirit. You see, when you talk about Him, you and I have significant advantages over what Gideon had. Because he, uh, he, he was raised around Baal worship, and his father had it on his own property and the grove, and that was a big deal. You'll see tomorrow night what a big deal that really was. And, he, and here he was there, and, and he didn't have all that background. I mean, he, he, didn't, he didn't have a long path to where he is right now. The man's just getting started. And God is patient. He's long-suffering. Yeah, but Brother Sam, you've been saved 70 years. Shouldn't you have a handle on things? Yeah. I do have a handle on him when I'm really right with him, when I'm really humbling myself before him, when I'm bold in my prayer and confessing what he already knows, yeah, when I'm acknowledging my dependence upon him. My pastor told me something uh, after I preached a sermon as an associate Probably, I started there in 67. This is probably in 1972. And after I'd preached, he was there. He'd had a voice problems. He couldn't preach. So I preached, and he told me afterwards. I was out at his house playing ping pong with a missionary that came by. We're out there, and my pastor came out and said, Sam, God's going to use you if you let everything people say go in one ear and out the other. Because, son, if you ever let it stop between, you're done. That's what he said. Yeah, it's very good counsel. I've, I've never forgotten that. Do, do we know? Is there anybody here, you know God wants you to do something uh, different than you're doing now in terms of serving Him, in terms of progress and growth in your Christian life? Maybe the next step of faith. It may have to do with the faith promise giving that's going on right now. It may have to do with service to the Lord. It have, may have to do with door knocking when you go out here and try to reach people. It may have to do with accepting responsibility within the church. It might have to do with using your gifts and your abilities for the Lord. And you've said, I can't. I just don't see me doing that. And uh, they don't even know I'm there at church half the time. And I just don't think I could. And so you've held back and you've held back and you've excused yourself. And then really a lot of the hesitation has to do with insecurity and you're wondering, would I mess it up or they can do this better or would I let somebody down? I don't know if I could do this or not. Come on, is anybody that way? If anybody's that way, you know what, the, you know what we're supposed to learn out of Gideon? Come before God and acknowledge before Him your dependence upon Him and Him alone. He said to him, Gideon, go in this 
thy might. This doesn't depend upon your strength. It doesn't depend upon your ability. It doesn't depend on your personality. It doesn't depend on your heritage. It depends on me. Anybody here that maybe you should be taking that next step of growth and next step of faith in your Christian life? Come on, there's more to it than going to church and filling your spot in the chair. There's more to it than that. God wants to use your life. A New Testament church is a living body, and the members that are added to the body are to contribute to the function of the body like my limbs contribute, like my eyes contribute, like my ears, what's left of it, uh, contribute, and like every part of our body, we want it to function. We want it. What part of your body do you care if somebody just took it? Can't think of any right now, huh? You know why? We just want our body to function right. You know what Jesus wants of his body? Wants it to function. You know why some don't function? Oh, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I should. I don't know. And insecure. Or I, I don't have the faith. Or I just can't step out. Or in order to do that, I'd have to get this in order in my life. And if I tried to get that in order in my life, that's something I really don't want to give up. So this and that. Is everybody with me? Just come before God, friend. And acknowledge where you are. You know what he's a master at? Well, just stay with the story of Gideon and you'll see. Taking a barley cake and using him in such a way that people still love to talk about it and hear about it. How many years later? We're talking millennium later. We're still talking about this man. Not because Gideon was such a dynamo, but because God in him worked in mighty ways. I wonder who God might be working on tonight. Right here at Riverside Baptist Church. Young people, I remember the age of these guys here, going to youth camp at Silver State and hearing those guys preach and kind of felt the tug and the urge, but thought, I could never do what they're doing. I could never do that. That ain't me. I could never stand. I can give an FFA speech. Yeah, that's one thing, a memorized FFA speech. I can do that. Yeah, I've got one I can still quote if you want to hear it. It's on soil conservation. It'll just light you up. I mean, it's really good. Yeah, yeah. but I couldn't get up and preach. I couldn't do that. Are you seeing yourself as a barley cake? As inept? As frail? As weak? That's where Gideon was. And God took him and used him. How about we just pray honestly before God and say, oh God, you know my limitations better than I do. But here I am. Here I am. However you want to use me, use me. However you want to use me. I, I pastored for 36 years, Brother Bill, and some of the most, some of the most dynamic um uh, what shall I say? And productive members of the church. I can remember the time when they thought they'll do good just to go to church, let alone fulfill any real purpose within the church. But step by step by step, God in his patience, his grace, and his kindness, and his ability brought them along, brought them along, brought them along, and some of them are serving the Lord in ways that are just it's amazing. That's him. That's what, that's what this is about. That's what it's about. Father, 
your servant Paul wrote and said, not many mighty, not many of the wise of this world, not many, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. To the world in which we live, the strongest Christians in here, evaluated by people of the world that know nothing of you, would look at us as wheat and barley cakes, out of step with the culture, out of step with society, out of step of what's hot, or the direction everything's going. They wouldn't look at us with admiration. Oh, no, not for the most part, not a chance. As weak and frail people, some would even say, I don't need God as a crutch. And they're one heartbeat from hell. Mm-mm-mm. So Lord, I pray that you'd work in our midst. There could be some young Gideons or not so young Gideons right here in our room, in this room, uh, that need to humble themselves and pray earnestly and say, God, I want you to use me. I'm willing for you to use me. But honestly, Lord, I see myself as like Gideon saw himself. Not a ritzy uh, elite upbringing. Not a heritage that would wow anybody. Not running over with personality and talent. And yet, oh God, you took a fearful farm boy that was thrashing wheat at the wine press. What a misnomer. You took him out of there. You worked in his life. You're gracious and patient and developed him. And what we're going to cover the next couple of nights are nothing short of amazing. What you did, you did through one barley cake. (laughs) What you're able to do what can be shaped when it's in your hands. Could be there's somebody here tonight you're calling to preach. I don't know that. I don't know that at all. But it could be. They're kicking back and pushing back and saying, I don't see how this would work. I don't know that I just, well, it's just, uh, and excuse, excuse, excuse. It could be that there are positions in the church that need to be filled of service, of teaching, of helping, of working, of labor. Could be there are people that are members here that have actually lifted not a finger to the purpose of the church, which is to reach the lost and disciple the saints and be a light in this city, in this area, in this world, and to be salt. And they've held back saying, well, I wasn't raised in church. I I don't know what all this is about. I don't have any idea what I could do. And they've held back as though they can't do anything. At least, at the least, would they humble themselves before you and say, oh God, however you can use my life, I'm willing to be used. That's the heart you're looking for. That's the heart you're looking for. May your Holy Spirit work and accomplish your will. In this invitation time, for Jesus' sake, amen. Let's stand together, shall we? We're going to have a time of invitation. If the Lord's at all dealt with your heart, you know you ought to come, why don't you come? 
Talk to the Lord about it. Be honest with Him. Be honest with Him.